Hello, and welcome to episode 24 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Brad Smith. Brad is an entrepreneur, brand expert, and professional daydreamer who works and plays on the island of Manhattan in New York City. Brad is co-founder of Wayward Wild, a publishing and media studio which creates original content for print, film, and web. He is the publisher of Wayward's flagship brand, The Great Discontent, a publication and event series which shares inspiring conversations with today's artists, makers, and risk takers. Once upon a time, he was the co-founder and CEO of Verb, a DIY website builder for creatives, which was acquired by GoDaddy in late 2013. He was also founder of Nubix Studio, a Midwest-bred design and branding shop, which he thinks about often. He is survived by a pair of running shoes, a novel he never published, and more post-it pads than any human should ever own. Welcome, Brad. Thank you. You're I need to go back and rewrite my website bio now that I actually hear that out loud. It's a little ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, but it you know it, it shows personality, and you got that's got to come through uh, instead of just the bland, boring corporate speak ones. All right, so before we get started, I, I want to tell the listeners to read the interview you were featured in on the Great Discontent. A lot of the questions I would have asked uh, that are pertinent to interactive design education are covered in that interview, so no need to reinvent the wheel. Um, That said, there are two questions that I'd like to ask in context with your experiences at Nubix, Pure Volume, and Verb before I get into my main line of questioning. Certainly. So during those years, uh, you worked with a lot of interactive designers. Uh, Based on your experiences, how ready were the entry-level designers coming right out of school out of traditional uh, graphic design schools, how ready were they for the industry? That's that's really tough to answer just because ready is, is <laughs> I mean, none of us are ready at the, at the kind of start of our career. Um, no matter how much schooling you've had or how much of an expert you are, you're very green, you're very new, and you're getting out there and, uh, and kind of creating your mark and your initial brand and your work for yourself. Um, I think less about being ready and it's, it's more about, um, I mean, to answer the question, very, very few were ready. I wasn't ready when I started my first company. I mean, I started in this industry years ago as a designer, um, and, you know, eventually parlayed into realizing that I'm not the best designer. I'm better at business and operations and entrepreneurship. And I need to kind of step back and let the people that are really good at what they're doing, do what they do. Um, so, you know, very, very few were ready. Um, but that doesn't mean that the work wasn't fantastic and the things that they were doing weren't, um, very well and design wasn't fantastic. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, here, let's, I can ask uh, from this angle, what could design schools have done better as Ah, educators could have done better to prepare them? Do the work. Mm-hmm. Do the work as in, and, and I believe education is very important. Um, but at the same time, don't just send out a resume that says, here's where I went to school. I graduated. This is my degree. Have the work there. Show the work. 
um, while you're studying, while you're in school, do projects. I don't care if, if you're not selling projects for money, um, make something up. Like just take an app that you feel could be improved and redesign it. Do something that lives and breathes in your portfolio because way back when and still today, um, a resume is great, but the first thing I'm going to do when I see that resume outside of looking at, you know, where they're located and their name, I'm going straight for a link to a website or a link to a portfolio or something like that. So do the, do the work and have the work there. Great. Um, so you also, in that interview, you talked a little bit about the branding work you did, um, which was pre-Facebook being, you know, opened it was only open that time to .edu email addresses. Mm -hmm. um, how much has branding changed since then because of things like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram? So it was like, you know, in, in school, I, we teach uh, branding through like, you're designing a, a stationary set. Right. Is that still relevant or it, is it? it <laughs> it's, it's funny you say this because I'm in the process right now of, of launching a, a new venture and I'm meeting with multiple brands right now. To, or multiple companies to develop logos, develop a word mark for me. Um, I'm talking with a PR company to do things like that. Is it as important? Um, maybe not. Do I care? No. <laughs> Just because that is to me like a new project or starting anything mm -hmm. new. The best, the, the most exciting thing about that is to me doing those things, having a logo design, figuring out your, your speak and your ethos and your copy and doing all those elements. Is it not important? Most certainly not. It, it still is. Um, but if you wanted to, you could, you know, potentially go out there and start a brand, start a company um, with none of that. I mean, I'm seeing things all the time to where um, a, a Facebook page is their website um, mm -hmm. or their URL does nothing but redirect to another service. Um, if they're a photographer, their, their, their brand, their URL does nothing but maybe redirect to their Instagram page. So you most certainly, like social media today makes it easier to not have to worry about that. Um, but that by no means is me saying don't do it. I think it's still very important. Yeah. Um, very, very important. But I think like things like Facebook um, and Twitter and Instagram, they've changed the way you have to approach an identity system. They're like, now you have to design a logo for Facebook yes. to fit in the context of Facebook. Well, certainly. Um, and so, I mean, do you, I mean, do you, since, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I asked the question, because I saw on Twitter that you were saying that, hey, we're, we're thinking about a rebrand here. <laughs> so I knew you were going through this process. So have, have, have you got to that point where um, any of these people you're talking to are like, you know, saying like, you know, this is what it's your new identity is going to look like in these different... Yeah, I'm, I'm still in the discussion phase um, just because, you know, when you're launching a new venture, like, you, you have to also launch it. Like, I, I would like to just take and freeze time for two weeks and work on copy, work on the website, work on the branding. I have two interviews from de design agencies. Basically, a design agency sends you a link and they're like, fill out this interview. You talk about what you're building. You talk about the product. And that tells them is Brad and his new company a good fit for this or is it kind of not within our, our, you know, type of brand that we work with? So I wish I could freeze time and just work on that really fun stuff for three weeks, but you still have a company to launch and, and, you know, teams to build and people to hire at the same time. Um, yeah. Okay. Great. So, so that, those were like some 
other like off topic um, questions I wanted to ask just because I knew from your previous experiences. But what I really wanted to talk to you about, um, it's something before I started this podcast, I always thought there were other career options for graphic designers beyond the traditional roles of print, branding, and interactive design. I just feel like designers are, are more valuable than designing the visual look of something. And there, and, and it's, and it, you, it's obviously that it's valued, designers are valued outside of the design industry. Certainly. So can you talk to the, to, about the rise of designers becoming, I've seen CEOs, you know, I think designers are natural entrepreneurs or, mm -hmm. you know, creative consultants. Can you talk about like the rise of that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of different thoughts on that. And if I get off on a tangent, I'm going to ask you to go back and repeat the the end of the question so I can I can uh, get back on track. But um, no, I think the biggest, most important aspect of that is the beauty and the benefit of understanding design. And that is why you see somebody as a designer eventually in a company, a large company like a, a Kickstarter or an Uber or whatever it may be that you know, they move to the head of design and the next thing you know, they're on the executive board or potentially a CEO of the company. Um, design is one of the most important aspects of, of <laughs> the internet and, and everything that we touch and do today. Um, from the interface on my TV over there to the, interview, to the internet that we use, the apps on our phone. Design is at the core some of the most important things. It's, it's why you and I can pick up an app and learn to use it, but also, you know, my mom can. Um, it kind of transcends all this, uh, this uh, it transcends communication and, and whatnot. Um, so I think that's why we're starting to see that shift because just because someone's a designer doesn't mean they don't make a fantastic CEO of a company. But what makes them even stronger as a CEO is they understand not just the importance of design, but they understand the process of design and why it's important. Um, so I think that's why we're, we're seeing a big shift in that. I mean, I, I by no means, I started in this industry 20 years ago as a designer. That is how I found, ooh, this is, I like what I'm doing here. I'm going to drop out of college and I'm going to focus on this because design really captured me and got me in. And I do miss that at times, but I also know that I wasn't the strongest designer. And that's when, like I said earlier, I've kind of over the years stepped back and in many ways still act as, you know, maybe a creative director or an art director or peering over somebody's shoulder when they don't want me to. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, some of, some of the strongest individuals that I've had in former companies, um, all the way up to like being a right-hand individual, to a co-founder have been designers. And that's one of the things, before I get to my next question, this is just like off the top of my head, that's, as a design educator, that's one of the things that I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out how, what is that? Is it the, the, the fact that they sat down and I had a student uh, take four squares and rearrange those four squares to tell these different stories mm -hmm. so they look like happy, sad, I mean, is that process what makes them so good at being entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, mean, I mean, there's something in there. Design is problem solving. Yeah. And it is, there's many, many different things. I mean, being a developer is also problem solving, but design is a huge interface problem solver. Um, and when you're a good problem solver, that really transcends the media or the specific part that you're working on. If you 
are a fantastic UX designer and you can solve some major problems, your brain's probably going to work in the same way that's going to allow you to solve problems of, you know, running a company and aspects like that. So I do. I think a lot of it has to do with the the problem-solving aspect. I could be really wrong, and a lot of people disagree with me, but for me, from what I think, um, coming from a design background, you know, when dinosaurs roam the land, uh, I, I think that has a lot to do with it. No, it's something that I want to, I'm, you know, I mean, this podcast I started off was meant to be about, you know, what should, you know, print heavy or traditional graphic design programs, what should they be teaching to empower interactive designers but I've also on in the back of my head, it's just, I know we're more than that. Yeah. I know we're more than print. I know we're more than interactive. And I'm just, this is the first time I've actually openly started talking about that and, you know, trying to look for a way to, um, and and just kind of like what we discussed previously on a, on a phone conversation, like some of my right hand people at multiple companies, I mean, Ryan Sims, who, who I worked with for a decade through three, almost four different companies, um, four different projects. Um, you know, he is, he's pretty much in a, in a head of design role right now. It's at, at Adobe, um, a role where he doesn't actually do as much design as what he used to. So again, another designer kind of having the ability to problem solve and be an entrepreneur. Um, my creative director, uh, at verb, um, you know, when we all left Verb in 2013 after its acquisition, um, he now has his own design studio and he runs a design studio. It's not that he's just a designer there. He is working directly with the clients. He's running the company. He's hiring individuals. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact he was a phenomenal designer, but he also was able to solve problems. And that leads itself to being like, I can be a designer and I can be an entrepreneur and I can run a company. Yeah. And I... I mean, so, you know, that's, that's an, uh, an interesting top, uh, way to mention it because I never thought about that. That is the natural evolution. Um, you entry-level designer, junior-level designer, art director, creative director, and then eventually you become your own. Right. And so I, one of the things that got me, and this is, again, off the original topic, but one of the things that attracted me early on to the great discontent was there were a lot of designer, creative people, but they were no longer doing design. Yes. They were they they took their their design training and they parlay that into something that who knows I mean they just saw a problem they saw a niche they saw something that nobody else saw and they just ran with it and but I guess you know being the uh, the principal or being the owner of your firm is the same thing I never thought of it that way I never thought of it as like well they just grew the business and they just they went that way instead of this way so that's interesting I never thought yeah. thanks for pointing that out. Um, so I'm going to ask, while the term design thinking is quite loaded, designers have a unique way of looking at the world. So I've struggled to um, separate that visual training like we were just uh, saying. Uh, I struggled to separate the visual training uh, designers undertake with the design thinking process um, that designers approach to a visual design and how it can be applied to non-design problems. Does that make sense? So we were talking about it, but can you better articulate it than I can? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> what? Um, so when you see this, like, when you're when you're you're doing these visual problem solving, mm-hmm. um, you're you're trying to make 
things make sense to people, but it's based on visual. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, how does that, do you see like that thread, like how that goes to non-design problems? Like, can you like pinpoint like, <sighs> anything? I mean, if you can't, I, you can't. I, I wish I could, because as I've said, I've seen a lot of it happen in, in just my own career um, of individuals kind of moving from design only uh, problem solving and careers into into different. Um, I truly, <laughs> I need to really think on that. Um, I don't know if I can answer that question right now. Yeah, no, and I it's think not. Yeah, maybe I don't know. That's a tough question. That's something I will be thinking about for a while after this this wraps up today. All right, so. Um... So there's this, so whatever it is, I mean, like I said, I, I can't pinpoint it and, and it's going to take more than just like one conversation to pinpoint, like, what is it that about designers that like lets them approach problems in different ways? Um, but that aside, is there a way that, or, or in design programs, we spend most of the time teaching the visual? Right. I mean, and, and to make it even, a, a, to make it, even a little bit more um, explained a little bit differently, uh, I assign a project. So I'm not even asking them to problem solve because I'm saying client X is coming to you for ephemera or they want a website, they want some, they want a logo, they want this. I'm not mm-hmm. even like letting them go through the discovery process of finding what the client needs. I'm literally just asking them to like decorate <laughs> these things but right. yet it's still there's something about just that act of doing that is is good well and and i think with the designer's brain i mean it's not just decorating because you're not just thinking about the client i mean if you are doing any type of design for the web or for apps or whatever that is your brain is constantly thinking about the end user how is somebody going to find this and how are they going to interact with it how are they as a user going to interact with my design? And I think that's, that's really key because you're never just thinking about a client project as, well, I'm going to go make this look pretty. I think a really strong designer's brain is constantly assessing how is someone going to use this? How are they going to interact with it? How are they going to utilize it? And, and maybe that kind of goes back into the previous question that you asked. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think that might have something to do with it. So, so then there's that, so I, like I said, I think there's more to more that designers can be doing a lot more. Um, do you think there's something that maybe we could do to kind of, as educators, play up that a little bit more instead of just, you know, like saying you're going to be a designer, you're going to have this, you know, this book, this portfolio, and you're going to go be an entry level, um, uh, designer somewhere. I mean, is there something that we could do to like you know, expand that and, and like help them see the potential or maybe better train them for the potential of being entrepreneurs? Um, I, I most, I most certainly do. Um, I think in, in every way, I mean, we are all entrepreneurs on some different scale. I don't care if you just started a brand new job, um, and you were 15 people down from senior management and you love what you're doing, like in a way, like there is an entrepreneurial spirit. There is a risk there. I mean, you with creating this podcast, um, that is, you know, that is creating something out of nothing. Um, but I do think it's really important to not just focus on the craft of 
design and and exploring um you know starting something and building something and that doesn't mean you have to go out and start your own um your own company or your own brand or anything like that but definitely learning about building something and starting something and and uh and problem solving in different ways outside of just pixel to paper to screen um can certainly help yeah and so that was that leads into one of these another question i had and it's it's so it's getting easier and easier for someone to create a digital service so i'll use um uh to do the editorially um dribble and these are all examples of just you know people just designers (laughs) saw a need and said let's let's fix it so you know what can we do to empower that as educators what can we do to like create a atmosphere of like you're not just going to create a portfolio you're going to create this too you're going to create this service Um, i don't know what that service is but yeah um it's basically asking how was an entrepreneur an entrepreneur how do you how i mean would you you (laughs) how is an entrepreneur an entrepreneur you are only one step away from anybody else and the fact that you were just ridiculous enough or naive enough or silly enough or in some cases smart enough to take that first step and be like i'm going to build this um you know i think uh yeah i i kind of got off track there and uh well no the, the original question was like with how do we as educators um you know, help empower students to be like, instead of creating like stationary or instead of creating a website, how do we empower them to yeah, create yeah. Have, uh, services or apps or yes. not? No, it's the services, products, whatever. No, 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 more so, most certainly. Um, and, and I don't think you need to have classes on here's how you form an LLC. Here's yeah. how you worry about getting your name trademarked. Um, but I do think processes of not just, hey, go out and make this look pretty and design this. But your project this semester is to create a brand or a product or something. Like looking at, like you said with Dribbble or any of these, it was it was nobody needed it before they existed. But the second that someone had the idea and they're like, wait, this doesn't exist and this is very important. We can't do without it now. I mean, Dribbble has been around a very long time and it's a site that I still visit quite mm-hmm. frequently. The amount of designers that I have that send me portfolio links, that is going to dribble. I mean, before dribble existed, nobody thought like, we need to dribble. Um, and that is true problem solving right there. Um, because there wasn't a glaring need for, you know what, we need to do this thing where you only show a small snippet of what you're working on on the web. Because I mean, that's really where, where dribble started. It was a small screen capture mm-hmm. of something you were working on. And a lot of people originally would use it to kind of tease projects that they're working on. Dribble has grown into a, a much greater, greater beast than that. So I think one thing to do is don't have a task or an assignment of, hey, design this website, but hey, design everything. Concept an idea, wireframe an app. Um, you know, think about how you would grow this as a brand and not just making a website. Yeah, great. And I'm, I'm actually glad you said that because one of the uh, faculty I used to work with, we were as we were talking through all this kind of stuff and, and she said these, she kept coming back to you. She's like, it's just branding. It's just branding. It's, it's just, it's, it keeps coming back to branding. And, and to be honest, like, I think if, 
we took the fear out of, I mean, being an entrepreneur is, is risky. It, it yeah. is. I mean, and, and <laughs> unless you're lucky enough just to have like a pile of cash there or investors, you're like, eh, if this goes south, we're going to be just fine. It's risky. But the biggest reason I think we don't see more people just quitting their jobs as designers and, and running with that idea is the fact that there's just this ever so thin sliver of fear running through it. How do I? I do, I've started doing a lot more mentorship. Um, and it took me years to start doing this because I didn't have a lot of mentors when I started out and I made a lot of mistakes. But throughout the years, I've started collecting really smart individuals that will give me advice and be honest with me and things like that. And, and you know, kick me in the ass when I am not thinking about something properly. Um, but there's this thin layer of fear that runs through everything. And it's like, well, how would I even start to launch a company? And I was talking to somebody recently about possibly speaking at a conference and they want to do panels basically on, here's the steps that you go to kind of start your own thing. Here's how you form a business entity. Here's how you do this. Here's how you get your tax ID. Here, here's how you handle all this. And I think it's really, really smart because that is the most boring stuff on the planet. Yeah. But why aren't more people just taking the leaps and going like, you know what, when I get home from work at 5.30 every night, I'm going to start building my own product idea. Um, I think it's just, it's scary and it's very unknown. And really, it shouldn't be at all because it's the easiest thing to do. It's just like I said, that what is the difference between what I do and what I was as a designer? And I was just kind of silly enough and crazy enough to take that first step and be like, eh, this is probably stupid, but I'm going to give it a shot and see what happens. You know, I... One big takeaway I got from that, and, and let me know what you think, is so I, I want to know how educators can help empower that. And I think one of the things that we could do um, is, in addition to the you know, traditional you know, visual training, is actually kind of put a scaffolding around things so like to remove that layer of fear. Yes. So if they're afraid to do something, you know, let's maybe if we could just kind of like scaffold it, like, okay, if you're scared to do this, let, how can we reduce that fear? Maybe it's, maybe it's just research, like go and look, like, you know, go verify that your idea hasn't been done before. Yeah. And then I, I, I think that would be time well spent. I, I completely agree. Is just figuring out a way to scaffold that fear or, you know, f train them to like, you know, once they identify the, identify fear. Because you know, you know, it just may be. It's really fear, but their brain is just telling them it's just not a good idea. Right. When right. it's really, it's no, that's that's and, something there. Yes, and to go the other way too. I mean, if 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 someone is a designer, that doesn't mean that you know they need to be an entrepreneur oh, yeah. <laughs> or or come up with an idea or build something. Because some people are just damn good designers, yeah. and they are happy. They don't want to deal with the shit of launching a product or running a company or something like that. They just love what they do and there's nothing wrong with that at the same time. But I do completely agree with you. Yeah. Well, and no, and you're right. There needs some, but that's just it though. It, it, it's for those people that are designerly, but maybe aren't like the, they're going to be like the knockout, you know, like everything's they make is, you know, just awesome right. and beautiful and gorgeous. Um, but they, they're, you know, but they're, they can yeah. apply design in a different way. Yeah. And that's really, that's what interests me more so than just, you know, somebody who's making a slick interface, somebody who's, you know, got some like gorgeous, you know, um, hand, you know, done lettering. I'm more interested in the, 
in that other space where it's yeah. like, what can you, what can you do to change, make, create that other people wouldn't do? And I, to me, that's what's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so do you, have, have, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever stopped down and thought about it? It's like, I mean, because you've got, you've done so many different things from that we've read in your bios. I mean, you ever stopped back and said, I'm glad like my design background, is my design background helped me? Did you like ever like make that correlation? Oh, most certainly. Okay. Yeah, most, most definitely. Um, there is, and like I said, I am not a phenomenal designer. I'm not even a good designer. And it, <laughs> it was very early in my career with my first company where I realized, hey, Brad, it's time for you to take a step back and let the let the professionals really readily handle this. Um, but you know, being a self-taught designer, it did help me in a certain way still to this day um, with you know looking at, at at design problems and solving them. No, and it's it's becoming something that's really you know prevalent in the in the industry. I'm going to use Google Ventures for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, Google Ventures has a team of designers that they will attach to anything that they fund. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, here's your designer. You should probably listen to them because mm -hmm. um, they're just, they, they value, and they're not designing anything. They just want them. It's I, recently, um, I don't know if you're a, where you fall in the realm of sports fan or not, but I've recently been starting to think about like, like analytics and baseball is really just like design thinking. <laughs> it's just, you know, there, it's just, you've got all this information on the table and because you're looking at all of it and looking at different ways of rearranging it, you're finding the, you know, the patterns that, you know, that work and yeah. other people don't notice that. Agreed. I, I am the world's worst expert yeah. on anything sports ball. I will just uh, put that out there right now. Well, you weren't born in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> I was. So that would probably change things that I've been born in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah. I, I, I kid you not. If I don't have the game on, on the Sunday, uh, a Catholic nun comes out of the closet somewhere and starts beating me <laughs> until I turn on the Browns game. Um, it, I have a dream that goes very, very similar to that, <laughs> unrelated to sports. But. <laughs> well, that's great. Um, so, you know, we're, yeah, we're actually kind of running up on time. So uh, before I let you go, is there Certainly. anything that you are working on that you would like to share or something you want to promote? You got about a uh, hundred things, so yeah, well, <laughs> you can talk about them all. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on right now. I mean, I've I've spent kind of the past year and a half with working with the Great Discontent and Ryan and Tina and and building a team there and continually to grow the brand, um, and really just kind of perpetuating their dream of of growing that. Um, but in the process, Wayward Wild, which has been the the parent company of the Great Discontent for a while, has kind of just sat there dormant mm -hmm. since we formed it a year and a half ago, and. Going back to problem solving, I have over the past year and a half noticed a lot of things with content creators and storytelling brands, and not just saying print, but digital publications. Maybe your content is a YouTube series that you're created, but I've really started studying and figuring out a lot of the, the problems that can be solved for really good storytelling brands that are very passionate about what they're doing and really good at it. But if they don't get some assistance on business side or how to generate revenue, they're going to go away. So kind of, you know, just because you, you have to make a livelihood, you have to you have to form a way to make money out of your passion project mm -hmm. or it's never going to shift out of that. It will just be that thing that you do from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. for the rest of your life. 
if you truly want to see your passion project become your project, boring, sad to say it, but you've got to make money off of it. So um, what I'm doing with Wayward Wild right now is preparing to launch it um, in late May, so about okay. a month from now. Um, and what I've done is I'm taking the idea of a, of a typical media company of old, a uh, media company that's a, a house of like all these different storytelling teams, typically just in print, but we're not thinking only in print here. We're thinking more in digital and film and podcasts and things like that. Um, and I'm mushing it up with the idea and the concept of a, of a tech incubator. Mm -hmm. So a tech incubator brings in a small team that has a really good idea. They're like, we have an idea we can problem solve and we want to build an app. The incubator goes, okay, what do you need help with? Is that funding? Typically, it's not even funding more. It's, it's giving them the team that can help them grow. It's putting somebody in, in, a, in helping them in a, a marketing situation, in a money-making situation, putting a salesperson on their team, um, giving them good PR and press and things like that. So what Wayward will be, um, very, or it is right now, it's just not a, official and launched yet, is um, this incubator for content and storytelling brands to where we are in the process of collecting really strong great small young brands that are good at storytelling and again in whatever medium maybe it's print maybe it's digital maybe it's film um and helping them grow and kind of realize the the capability and the scope that their project could grow into that's interesting because when i i wasn't i, I didn't even know if you're going to talk about it because I, I know it was out there but i i didn't know if it was like anything was yeah we don't even know when this is going to air so yeah. this might actually go live before it's up so whoops i, I spilled the beans on that one well <laughs> it's not a big deal through the power of um editing <laughs> whatever um, it wouldn't hurt if it, if it was out there. well i know and i i mean at first when i first when you know the things that you did have public facing on it i was wondering if it was kind of like you are creating all of that stuff through the great discontent. I mean, you're 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 generating stories, you're generating content through um, just about any medium humanly possible, right? Other than smoke signals. I mean, <laughs> which which, which you may try. That's actually happening currently. Yeah, <laughs> trying to find a good medium to deliver that on though. It's it's hard to really convey smoke signals in a digital world. Yeah, but you I mean so you're pretty you're pretty, and so I was looking, I was imagining Wayward um, as you would help brands create their own content not yes not already existing storytellers though i mean for like maybe somebody who doesn't have a story to tell you were going to mm -hmm. go in there and like well, tell and, them how to tell a story and and that a lot of that was a core of the initial idea of what wayward wild was going to be and that's like if you went to the website right now which is just a holder page and read that copy year and a half ago, that was kind of the direction it was going. I mean, Wayward was going to churn out multiple brands, but for us, the great discontent is just one idea. And we mm -hmm. were going to do this podcast series and we were going to do this YouTube channel and we were going to create a lot of this content for us. Um, the Wayward that will relaunch, or in this case, actually launch yeah. um, this next month will be a, a very different iteration of that. Okay. Well, great. Well, that's all we have time for today on episode 24 of Design ADU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Brad Smith, for being so generous with his time. I want to thank the audience for listening, 
and I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor DigitalOcean and CDN sponsor Fastly for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you want to discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at designedu today, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes store. Thank you for listening to Design EDU Today.